<clears throat> All right, so um, we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and again, we've uh, covered, we've already covered some ground last week, <clears throat> got through about three verses. I, I think we'll move a lot faster today and uh, get through more. I don't know, we'll see what the Lord has, but Ephesians 6 verse verse 1 is where I want to back up and, and read that. Um, I don't know, yeah, I'm not going to go through all of the... Uh, the backup that we've done over the other points. But uh, let's just read the text this, this evening. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Now that's as far as we went last week. And uh, we covered <clears throat> quite a bit of ground last week uh, as, we, as we talked about um, you know, the importance of obedience. If you got the the fill in the blanks and uh, you want to and you're just joining us, you want to catch up. We'll just cover those real quick. Uh, we saw we're talking about, by the way, waxing strong in Christ. And so, this this first uh, these first uh, nine verses really deal with Christian growth in a way that prepares you for the battle when you get to verses uh, ten and deal with the whole armor of God. And then, of course, that maturation that comes with Paul as he becomes an ambassador for Christ. Uh, but he, we talked about the duty of obedient children, uh, the command to obey, uh, how it's established in the heart, established in the law, established in the New Testament. And then we talked about the virtue of obedience, uh, which virtue means power, right? There's power in obedience, how obedience is right, obedience is love, obedience is learning. And, uh, and then the point D there, obedience is honorable. And we looked at the distinctions of being honoring your father and not honoring your father. We talked about how in the Old Testament disobedience, man, that meant you could get killed, literally. And then obedience, point E, is rewarded. Um, and, you know, and that's really what Paul's talking about there, Exodus twenty twelve. He's talking about it. it's the first commandment with promise. In Exodus 20, when the Ten Commandments are being laid out there, he says, Honor thy, thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And so there's that promise of long life. We talked about that and how Jesus... Uh, was he's got he's obviously eternal he obeyed and he resurrected from the dead and he's the one that dishes out the long life eternal life to all of us hallelujah and then we talked about some practical examples from the old testament daniel samuel and some others david and uh, that led us to uh some more contemporary discussions of of how really uh you know children are under attack today literally and uh it was just kind of fitting last sunday morning we celebrated and honored the uh you know, the the anniversary of uh, Sanctity of Life Day and just kind of segued really nice with all this. So, of course, I planned that out a long time ago. Not, so God knows. But that's all good. So tonight we're going to be talking about the duty of loving fathers, the duty of loving fathers. And this chapter is dealing with, you know, the duty. So we've seen the duty of obedient children. Now that we're going to look at the duty uh, of loving fathers. And when you say duty and you're dealing with loving, obedient children, you think you might think of a diaper. It's not, that's not duty. That's something else. So anyway, <clears throat> wah, wah, wah. All right. All right. So, uh, so anyway, so this is a short verse, and I'm not going to, you know, I won't hang on the rim too long here. Uh, but it says, and, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, you know, there's probably nothing that's as... This is really appropriate for the time we live in. What the world needs so much is, is fathers, big time. Um, not just baby daddies, but, but fathers. And uh, you can see it all over the culture. You know, we, I was watching some Crips the other day fight some other gang I've never heard of, um, some neighborhood I've never been to. 
Um, and these guys are all fighting. It's on the YouTube video. And um, <clears throat> that's what I do for entertainment on the weekends. So anyway, uh, not really. But I don't know how it came across my phone. But anyway, I was watching this. these two guys, and then it broke into a scuffle and then finished up. And, and, uh, and I just thought, man, what a, what a shame. You know, all the, most of those young men don't have a dad. You know, and if they do, I mean, they obviously have a, they have a, they had somebody that brought them into the world, uh, physically speaking, but they don't really have a father, right? They don't have a man that in their life that can reach in there and say, son, what are you doing? You know, come on, let's straighten this thing out. And, and they're looking, right? They're looking for, uh, they're looking for some, they're looking to be a man, right? And establish themselves and they're looking for a family, you know, that's what all the, one of those gangs, they all had white T-shirts on. That was, I guess, the thing. If you were in this one gang, everybody wore a white T-shirt. They're looking for a uniform, uniformity. They're wanting to fit in, you know. And I'm watching all of that, going, man, you know, all of it. All boys want that. That's why they play football and get on the football team and they do sports. I mean, that, I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying, too bad there's not something, but not some fathers there to help them, you know. Candace Owens wrote a book, uh, and I think I mentioned this last week. I think it's called Blacked or something like that, Blacked Out or something. And it's a good one if you want to read it or get it online and listen to it. But um, she mentions how that, um, you know, how the, the family, the nuclear family, at least in the black community, has just been decimated in the structure of the family. And it's so sad because it affects the, the children. And it, it's doing the same thing. It doesn't matter what, you know, racial makeup you are. Uh, when you're lacking fathers, it affects you. So... Uh, uh, and so there, there's been a systematic degradation in the United States of the family unit for, you know, several decades, to put it conservatively, you know. And so, um, and so, you know, even the 1973 situation, you know, liberation for women ends up killing children. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. But Paul says here, fathers, you should not provoke your children to wrath. So he's assuming that a father's going to take ownership of his kids right there. He's going he's gonna to own up to the fact that he's responsible. So, uh, and he's going to want to bring them up. And he's going to want to have an influence on their life. So he's like, hey, dads. So, you know, in our culture, things have shifted to like, hey, dad, you need to have an influence in your life. Uh, and then on top of that, if you're going to have an influence in their life, it needs to be a positive influence in their life, not a negative one. And that's really what Paul's dealing with here. Fathers... Um, you know, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, the culture in Ephesus was not a, it was no, like, small town, and it was no, it was no Mayberry. I mean, it was a tough town. They had pagan idolatry going on. They had the goddess Diana. They had, there's all kinds of sin happening in Ephesus, and you needed a family to keep your family in line. You needed a man that was following God and not going down to the local, you know, brothel to worship the latest, you know, Diana, the goddess, with the, they had a whole priest they had a whole bunch of uh, prostitutes incorporated with their pagan religion. So it was a pretty nasty, nasty environment when it came to, you know, family values. And so, um, and so this was important that they had a solid family. And so he says, don't provoke them to wrath. Uh, bring them up the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So Saul is a fine example of what not to do as a father. So is really Jacob. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 30, the Bible says, uh, did I put that in your notes? So you got the... I don't know. I'm in control of this thing tonight, so you're in trouble. So, uh, so there's your references. You might want to be getting ahead with me in your Bible. First uh, Samuel chapter 20 and verse 30. Uh, Saul is a is a good example of what not to do as a dad, as a father. 
uh, and the, the text I'm going to read to you is from verses 30 through 34, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son uh, of, the, <clears throat> of the perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> well, that's nice. Do not I now, or do, do, I'm sorry, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. So this is what Saul's saying to his son. And, uh, and Jonathan answered, Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? Why, why are you going to kill him, Dad? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. <laughs> That's how Saul dealt with it. Uh, he goes on to say, um, Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat meat. The second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. So you see, that's that's a really intense situation. Saul, if you know much about Saul, his what's what's the characteristic that Saul's lacking in First Samuel chapter? You know, in that section of First Samuel leading up to chapter twenty. Anybody read the story of Saul and David? Let's think about the story of Samuel and David. Let's go back and look at it. Let me. I'm just. Go back and look at First Samuel chapter nineteen, because it's no good if we're not laying our eyeballs on it. It's really not going to be very helpful. Um, so in First in, in in First Samuel, you know David is David slays Goliath in chapter seventeen, and then it, it, the, the then the story kind of transitions back to Samuel and Saul and what's going on with with Samuel and Saul, and uh, and so in chapter nineteen. Um, Actually, is it, is it 19 I'm looking for? It's not. It's, it's verse... Uh, I'm looking at... at uh, I'm looking at where, where uh, Samuel told David, or Samuel told Saul, that God is not interested in sacrifice, but in obeying the Lord with the sheep are bleeding. Is it that far back? Yeah, because that's why he anoints David. That's right. So, um, yeah, in verse 22. So it's 1 Samuel 15, 22. I just read this like this week. So, uh, And Samuel said, look at 1 Samuel chapter uh, 15. <clears throat> we'll just kind of back it up. Back up, Brian. In verse 17, it says, And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king of Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. So God sent him on a mission, and uh, he said, Go out and destroy all the enemies. And in verse 19, Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have, look at this, I have obeyed, I have obeyed, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord and have and uh, have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
But the people took of the spoil, uh, sheep and oxen, and chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So what happened is God said, you know what? You need to kill every man, a woman, child. She utterly destroyed the Amalekites. These people are rotten and wicked. I don't want them around. They've had over 400 years to repent. Grace has run out. It's your job to execute judgment. And so, uh, but Saul's like, you know, well, God will understand. We're going to keep some of these animals around here. We're going to offer them. He really wasn't going to offer them a sacrifice probably until he got caught. But uh, once he gets caught, he starts justifying. Well, you know, hey, I just wanted to keep some of the livestock so we could go over here and sacrifice it at Gilgal, you know, in a stone of remembrance. And we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to remember, you know, this is all about God's victory and the promised land and all that. And, and uh, Saul's like, uh, Samuel's like, no, we're not buying that. Verse 22. And Samuel uh, said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? And here it comes. As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What parent hasn't quoted that a hundred times? And stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now Saul goes on for some years to be the king after this. But as far as God's concerned, he's done. Next chapter, David's being anointed, right? First anointing. He gets anointed again after the death of Saul. And uh, I believe it was in Bethel or Hebron. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, David gets two anointings. But the point is simply this. <clears throat> um, so Saul is, he's saying I'm obedient, but he's really a liar. He's not obedient. And God says... Through Samuel, hey, God's not interested in your sacrifices. He's interested in your obedience. And um, now that's the very first point that Paul's pointing out in Ephesians 6. Children, obey. But you see, this father was not obedient. And then he turns around and went, guess who wouldn't obey him? His son. His son, Jonathan, wasn't going to obey him. And, and you know what? Jonathan was right. But it was a situation where Saul would not obey the Father in heaven. He wasn't going to obey. And guess what? Neither one of his kids obeyed him. Michael's letting David out a window. You know, she's sneaking him off. Jonathan's going out in the field shooting arrows saying, keep going, David. Dad's out of his cotton-picking mind. Now, again, I just, I just happened to be writing about this this morning on Facebook. Some of you may have read the post about Jonathan. And, man, what a good man Jonathan was. Jonathan was, I mean, there's... I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything bad that's written about Jonathan. Actually, um, he is he's solid. But you know what? You see that he got angry with his dad. Now Jonathan wasn't given to being angry at his father because he sticks with his dad to the very bitter end, and he dies in combat. You know, supporting his father, his earthly father, and also supporting the will of the heavenly father. But Saul's situation was such that he's like, man, son, I I want to bless you. I want you to get the kingdom. And Jonathan's like, you know, no, Dad, David's the man, you know, and so they're arguing over the will of God. So, so anyway, so where are we going with this? I don't know. That's just fun to talk about it. No, not really. So Jonathan was angry with Saul because Saul's judgment was perverse and wicked. And and you know what? Kids see right through that, dads. <clears throat> you know, do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work with kids. They need to see us being obedient to the Lord, or they're going to rebel. Uh, you know, it's bound in their heart anyway to rebel. But you definitely want to do your best not to provoke them to wrath. And that's exactly what happened uh, in that situation with, with Saul. Literally, it tells you there that 
in, uh, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 20 that Jonathan, he arose from the table in fierce anger, and he didn't eat any meat. You know what it did? The fellowship with his father got broke. There was no fellowship. And uh, that's, a, that's a painful thing. You know, your dad's... A, I, I, I had a good dad. I, my dad loved me. I mean, he wasn't in church every Sunday, but I had a good dad. He played, you know, played baseball with me. You know, he was there for me. And uh, you never, I never, he never said, hey, son, I love you. But I knew he loved me. I didn't have to. I didn't, it wasn't a question whether he loved me. And so, um, you know, no dad's perfect in the flesh and all that. But he, I had a good dad. And, it, you know, one of the things, by the way, one of the things about my dad that I really appreciate, especially in retrospect, is I knew, you know, one thing I knew about my dad is he loved my mom. And, man, I tell you what, uh, that is something that every, if you, if you want to impress something upon your kids, impress upon them the fact that you love your wife. Um, and uh, that'll go a long way. So, but anyway, that's another story. So anyway, so uh, my point is simply this, though. Where, what was my point? Um, so Jonathan was angry. But you know those dads that, like, you know, knock the kid around? Being a pastor, I hear all kinds of horror stories. And it's just like, are you kidding me? You got the absentee dad, which, you know, you can do that in ministry. I'm, I'm gone quite a bit. I got to work at being around my kids and, and uh, letting them know what's going on. You've got, you've got the, uh, the dad that, you know, the drunk dad that's knocking people around the house dad or the dad that's not giving anybody any attention. You've got the meth addict dad. You know, you've got all the different types of dads. And, um, you know, it's not easy being a dad in this culture either. It's not really something that's vaunted either. Being a good father is not being vaunted. And so those are all things that, that uh, you know, a man, you've got to take control of that thing and decide, I'm going to be a, a dad, a father. Uh, I'm gonna, I am not going to provoke my kids to wrath. I'm going I'm to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what I'm going to do because that's what the Bible tells me to do. And uh, you've got to man up and do that kind of stuff. So a, a father loses influence in his children's life when he doesn't nurture them. So when Jacob informed, go to Genesis 31. So we're back in 1 Samuel. Just back up to Genesis 31 and uh, verse 14. Genesis 31 and verse 14. <clears throat> so you got Jacob here. I mentioned him a minute ago. And you got Rachel. So you look at the text here. It says, And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet a, any portion or an inheritance for us in our father's house? This is a question mark. Well, let me set this up for you. Um, that's a good question that they're asking. Is there any, is there any, what do we have, what is our dad leaving us? What, what is our dad doing uh, for us? So the context here is, you know, Jacob's ready to bolt. He, if you don't know much about the Old Testament stories, Jacob is, is made a deal um, for Rachel. He's, hey, I'm going to work seven years. I'm going to take your, your, your daughter and it's all going to be good. And, um, and of course, after seven years, Laban does the switcheroo, and uh, he ends up marrying Leah instead of Rachel. And he's like, "What?" Everybody's like, "What?" You know. And then next thing you know, it's like, uh, "Well, that's okay. Go ahead and work another seven years, and I'll give you my other daughter." First of all, that's pretty messed up as a dad. I mean, something's not square with that. Uh, and of course, Jacob, he he did, he loved Rachel. He did that. Um, he might have wanted to stick with Leah before it was all over with, but that's another story. <laughs> so, but at the end of the day, he does that. So, so he's got two wives, right? 
and then throw in some concubines there because, you know, they're, on a, they're in a race to have children. And, um, and so he's got all that going on. He's got all these kids, and, he's, uh, and his, and his father-in-law is trying to, to uh, you know, weasel him out of, out of money and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. But God gives Jacob an ability to prosper in spite of all that. The more persecution that Laban puts on him, the more prosperous Jacob becomes. And so <clears throat> it's to the point, though, where he's done with Laban. I've got my 14 years in. I've got my wives. I've got my kids. And now I've got my cattle. I've got my, I got my, my herd. I'm ready to bolt. And so um, he says in verse 12, And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstrakes, speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, um, <clears throat> house of God, where thou, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return into the land of thy kindred. So God tells him, get out of here. Uh, get, get your cattle and go, Jacob. And so he goes to his wives, uh, wife and, he's, and Rachel and Leah, and uh, he, goes, he says in verse 14, And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? So I needed to set that up before I just started reading that. So what they're saying is, man, God hasn't, or our dad hasn't left us anything. Are we not counted of him? Uh, are we not counted of him strangers? For he has sold us and hath quite devoured also our money. Our dad has used us as a commodity so he can profit. He's, he's treated us like little harlots. I mean, that's a coarse way of putting it, but that's really what he's, they're like, He's taken everything from us. He's just sold us off to get our stuff. I mean, he's just taking the value out of our life. That's what he's doing. We're, not, we're just like strangers to him. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Now they're, just to kind of return, they're like, hey, he deserves it. Dad deserves that. They have no allegiance to their father at all because of the way their dad treated them. That was a father that he wasn't a really, he didn't, he had, he lost influence with his daughters by the way he treated them. Uh, just like Jonathan or Saul lost influence with his daughter, Michael, because of the way she treated her husband, David. And the way, and sa same thing, Jonathan was like, man, dad, what are you doing? So we often think of that, you know, think about this. I need to think about this too. Um, you know, we think about, you know, the, the father that, that, is um, not nurturing and, and not raising his children in the way of the Lord. <clears throat> Even if they never lay a hand on their kids, they can see the way they treat other people. And that is going to erode at their character. And I can tell you just from being a kid, when you come across people with good character and, and you're coming through life and you see a man or a woman with strong character, you notice it as a child. And you just are like, something's different about them. You know, you just see it. And so if, if, you, want, if you want to lose your kids, you know, I'm not saying you, if you're, just be a brawler, be a knucklehead, be an idiot stick. As they grow and they mature, they'll start to figure it out, you know, because they hear what you're saying, they hear what you're doing, they hear how you're treating other people, and they know it, and they can see through it. And so... Colossians chapter 3. This is a companion passage, Colossians 3.21. So I just want to make sure we have this in our arsenal. 
Um, you guys, just as a cross-reference, <clears throat> Colossians 3.21, the Bible says here, um, fathers provoke, says it the same thing, but a little differently, right? Fathers provoke not your children to, it doesn't say anger, but or to wrath, it says to anger. But notice what it says after that. What's it say after that? Yeah, lest they be discouraged. Discouraged, right? I, I like the word, I don't like the word discouraged, but I like the, the English word discouraged because the end of it's courage, right? You, you, you zap them of courage. You, 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 you're robbing them of strength, right? Dads, you don't do that to your kids. You're going to make them weaker, not stronger. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't be like Saul, um, you know, lest they be discouraged. So God is dealing, Paul writing to the Colossians, is dealing with them in the same vein. That obviously is something that's easy for us dads to do, us fathers to do. Now, that's why do you think it is, then, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that if you're going to be a deacon or a pastor of a church, what's one of the things that you've got to be able to do? What's that? What's that? Yeah, you've got to rule well your own house. Otherwise, you don't rule well the house of God. If you're discouraging your family all the time, what are you going to do to the household of faith? And they're all going to be discouraged. They're not going to have the courage to go forward in the, in the conflict, which we're in a great conflict, aren't we, between good and evil. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has to go forward. So the body of Christ, man, this is such a critical element to getting us later on to chapter 6 there where we're getting on the whole armor of God. We always jump to the whole armor of God. But before we jump to the whole armor of God, we really need to look at what really makes a good soldier is a good, well, a good father, good family, right? A faithful son that's going to go out and, and execute justice and judgment is going to be an obedient son, like Jesus was an obedient son. He's an example of obedience. Well, uh, Saul's an example of disobedience. And so um, this was a, this, this, these examples I'm using from the Old Testament affected the nation of Israel. God is trying to advance the kingdom, right? He's trying to expand the king he's trying to deal with the enemies of god he is trying to press the battle and get these people their inheritance and manage it the way it's supposed to be handled and yet what's really complicating it is these guys like saul and then later on you got rehoboam and jeroboam and then and you just go down the list now we learned something about all that by the way if you think you're the perfect parent you're crazy <laughs> there ain't one of us that really has all this down perfectly so what's it, what do you got to have to be a good father or a good mother? Well, you got to have, you got to have grace. Just like you got to have with your kids, right? Because if you don't, how did you, hey, does God hold you accountable to every single thing? No, he put it on his son. You're accountable, don't get me wrong, we're responsible. But I tell you what, you, when you realize the grace that you've been given, it's a lot easier to give grace. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to be too hard on people when you realize how much grace has been extended to you. So you've got to give your kids space and room to grow. It doesn't mean they don't need structure, but there has to be some, some space, like a yard, right? This is the yard. This is where the fence is, right? Dad, this is the fence, and you don't go past the fence. Don't go in the street. The bully lives in the street. You get out there, I can't protect you. You stay in the fence, you're going to be... And some kids, they just are like, okay, I'm jumping the fence no matter what. Well... Then, then that's where they learn their lessons, outside the fence. Sometimes, today we got the helicopter parents, you know, you can't let your kid go over the fence, you're going to do, well, listen, sometimes kids are knuckleheads, they are, they are bent 
and rebellion, sometimes you've got to let them jump the fence and go out and play with the bully and find out what that's about. And that's hard. But, you know, man, I tell you what, sometimes that's the better lesson. And so you can't always rush in and save your kids from their rebellion. Sometimes they got to reap what they sow. So as a parent, you kind of got to set those parameters. Your dads are the guys that should do that. And, um, and moms, don't get me wrong. Moms rule the home as well. But dads are a big influence in their kids' lives. All right, so, uh, so though David loved Absalom dearly, he lost his heart when he wouldn't judge the wickedness of Amnon's rape of his sister Tamar. Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Let's go back to 2 Samuel. Um, I don't think I had that. Oh, there, I got those verses up there. Look at me go. All right, so I got them up there making it easy on y'all. So 2 Samuel chapter uh, 13 and verse 21, the Bible says, When King David heard all these things, he was very wroth. Well, let's go back to the, the whole thing. Second uh, Samuel 13, 21. Um, this is a terrible situation, a terrible story, family dynamic. It's, it's almost like something you'd hear today. Um, it goes on all the time in our culture. Um, crazy stuff happens. But uh, this is a story of, of, uh, of Absalom's sister, um, Tamar, and his, and his brother, Amnon. And Amnon was a man who, uh, it says in, in, in uh, 2 Samuel 13, number of rebellion, Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for her, him not to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. This is a horrible friend. The son of Shemiah, David's brother. Um, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. Notice the word subtle. And someone else is subtle like a serpent. And he said unto him, Why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it and eat it at her hand. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar my sister come, and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat at her, bre- at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So David's clueless. So Tamar went to her. You think your brother's going to protect your daughter, by the way. Your son, I should say, is going to protect your daughter. Not the, not the case. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he, laid, and he was laid down. And she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes of, in his sight and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, have out, uh, have out all men from me. And they went out, every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, Bring the meat unto the chamber, that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And he doesn't mean to take a nap. And she answered him, Nay, nay, nay my brother, do not force me. For no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I, whither shall, and I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. 
Howbeit he will not hearken unto her, he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she forced her and lay with her. And, Am, and then right after that, and Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then, then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put her now, or put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. So insult to injury. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins uh, appareled. Uh, then this servant uh, brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of diverse colors that was on her and laid her hand upon her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But now, uh, <clears throat> but hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother's uh, Absalom's house. Okay, now this is where we get it to the text uh, and get to the point here. So this is serious. How many of you would want to put up with that in your house? I mean, I got to be careful asking that question because sadly that goes on today, stuff like that. So you shouldn't. Let me just put it that way. That shouldn't be going on in your house. And if it does, it's serious. And it needs to be dealt with uh, immediately and appropriately. Okay, and that's, you know what? That's what Amlon, uh, Absalom says, too. He's like, this is craziness. What in the world is going on? What in the world? And so it goes on to say, but when, when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Well, could you blame him? So what do we have here? Let me ask you, what happens with this story? Yeah, Wayne. Yeah, exactly. I should have given you the mic because the people on they couldn't hear you. Darn it! So, so Lance was he just laid that out really succinctly um, that 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 Absalom uh, was angry with his dad for not doing anything. So he ended up, you know, basically rebelling, not basically altogether rebelling, and uh, and he ends up uh, throwing his dad out, killing his brother, and then trying to depose his own father from being king. Of Israel and David, by the way, didn't do anything to Absalom either. He was just he couldn't bring himself to do anything. Um, and so it's interesting, isn't it? This mighty man of valor, this guy who himself was raised with all these older brothers. This guy—I mean, he knew the dynamics of the family. Um, he gets to this place as the king, and he's not executing justice and judgment within his own family. But he'll go out and destroy the Philistines right now. <laughs> so. Uh, so, Absal- so Absalom, I'm not justifying Absalom, Absalom was out of his gourd too, but, you know, Absalom ended up doing this. It's, by the way, there's a lesson with Absalom, I just want to tell you. This, I learned this many years ago. You end up doing the very things that you despise others of. So be careful. Be careful. You need to forgive people and not let roots of bitterness go down because you'll end up doing exactly the same thing that you despise in others. He ends up taking David's concubines up on top of the roof and defiling them in front of everybody uh, just to, you know, put, his, put a finger in his dad's eye. That's not any better than what has happened to his sister. It's not any better. And so God judges him just, just as bad. Everyone gets judged. 
and uh, David loses sons that he didn't want to lose. Uh, Absalom, he gets killed. Uh, it's a terrible situation. And God has his purposes in all of that. But David's apathy was not an excuse for Absalom's rebellion. However, David did nothing to help it. That's my point. Uh, David didn't do anything to help Absalom's apathy. If he loved him that much, he should have done something. <clears throat> Eli also lost the heart of his rebellious boys. Remember that? Their sins at the temple of laying with women and extortion were worthy of death. And nothing happened. Uh, nothing at all happened to them until God himself did judge them, and they did die. And so Eli was a, was a poor father as well, the, the, which was the father of Hophni and Phinehas back in the book of Judges. So, uh, so fathers, so that's, a, that's some pretty serious lessons, isn't it, dads? So fathers should bring them up. Right, you shouldn't. We shouldn't provoke our kids, our children, to wrath, uh, sons or daughters. And fathers should bring up, uh, bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, notice Paul says, "Bring them up." It's very similar to the phrase from Proverbs twenty-two six that says, "Train a child." Right, train up a child in the way he should go. What are we doing? We're bringing them up. We should be elevating it. Right. And, go, and uh, when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so, uh, so God blesses the father who brings up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. i got another verse here for you. I'm going to keep moving a little bit more brisk here on these verses. Um, so in Genesis 18, the text says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide Abraham uh, from Abraham that thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And this is what, this is what God said about Abraham. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That is what the Lord knew about Abraham, that he was going to take care of his household. And they were going to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring up upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Now, we know that Abraham wasn't altogether perfect either. There's all kinds of real-life stuff about Abraham. You're like, really? That's Abraham? But God said, look, this is what's going to happen. I can trust this guy. Consider all that God said about Abraham's ability to raise children. And yet, he was only blessed with Isaac. Of course, he had Ishmael as well, but he was, that wasn't of the Lord. Um, and so he has Isaac. So his nurturing ability was manifest in the trained servants of his house. That's where he got the, that's You see that I was just talking with Luke about this this afternoon, about the story of Abraham. You know, there's nothing said of Abraham through the entire Bible about being a great military anything. He's father Abraham, father of faith. That's all the attributes you hear. It's a fatherly, nurturing, bringing up a household because that's his, that's his lot. Uh, that's who he is. And yet, when a Confederate army from Babylon comes down to destroy the Sodomites uh, in the region down of Sodom, where Lot happens to be dwelling, uh, and they take him captive, all of a sudden this dude, who doesn't at this time doesn't even have any kids, he rolls out of his house with 300 trained servants, and he takes and puts a whole army to flight. And if you look at their, 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 uh, their, the uh, distance they traveled, they literally almost ran them over to the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, they, they went a long way. Uh, they chased those guys down. And nobody else, there's five cities there. Nobody else had the muster to do that. And here this dude rolls out of his house with 300 trained servants. He's just the father Abraham. But that's exactly, that's exactly the way it works. He knew how to train up men. 
and, um, and, and they could go to battle, Ephesians chapter 6. You know, obedient children, uh, nurturing fathers. What happens? You raise up faithful servants, faithful masters, faithful soldiers, and you go to war, and you get the job done for the Lord Jesus. So his nurturing ability was manifest in those trained servants. So Paul, he commented on the nurturing, um, nurturing his son in the Lord, right? In uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, <clears throat> And so he said in that passage, a familiar passage to many of us, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so the, the standard of, of, that we're all trying to take our children to is that of Christ. That's the bottom line. That's where we're training them up. We're, we're trying to get them focused on the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was just talking to Mike Blake today. Some of you know Pastor Mike Blake. His daughter just started school, uh, back to school for the first time in a year and a half. And he said, amen. Yeah, that's an answer to prayer. That's a praise. But he was just telling, you know, pray for her. She hadn't been to school in, you know, over a year and a half. She's a different person than she was a year and a half ago. Some of the kids don't even recognize her. She's gained, you know, she's put on 50 pounds of steroids and chemo weight, you know. And uh, that's tough for a girl, teenage girl. But you know what he said? He's in the morning. He gets up this morning, and she's in there with her Bible open, doing her devotions, you know, by her bed. And I mean, not because she had to, because she wants to. And uh, you know, that goes a long way. That's encouraging, man. And uh, and so, uh, be praying for her. But uh, man, you want to train them up. You know, you want to get them up, get them up to where they're they're looking to Christ. And so Timothy, he had the scriptures, right? That's how we do it. We get the scriptures. In the kids, the word nurturing is only translated nurture once in the New Testament. How about that? It's only once in the New Testament you find that word nurture that we find in Ephesians. Um, and so the Greek word, uh, I think you say it's pronounced padia, P-A-I-D-E-I-A, occurs five other places uh, as chastising or chast I should say, chastening and instruction. And so that word is also used in different ways, to chasten, to chastise, instruct. And so, uh, so to chasten is to give a child what he or she needs, not what they always want, right? And so um, Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, He that spareth his rod spoileth, uh, spoils the child. Or he that spareth his rod hateth his son. I'm sorry, I'm moving on. But he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. What's that mean, be times? We don't really use that very often. Yeah, often, early. Early and often. <laughs> yeah, you get there quick and early. And so, um, Proverbs 3, 12. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father his the son in whom he delighteth. So notice that in Proverbs 3.12, and you apply that to Absalom. Um, you correct a son in whom you delight, but you don't, you're at, you don't correct a son who you don't delight in. You don't love your kids if you don't correct them. Uh, uh, Proverbs 19.18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Wah! You know, so chasten them. And by the way, do that while they're young. Don't wait till they're old. You want to? We and I know we. Nobody does corporal punishment at Heartland, but um, when they're little, <laughs> you know, we used to. When they were little, even I had a little, little like a dowel rod, and I wouldn't hurt them at all, just to kind of 
if they're doing something, just kind of tap them a little bit. Say, hey, stop that. And it started. we started using a, the rod early so they get the idea. And then, of course, they get to graduate as they got older. But, uh, um, but you know, even there's nothing, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Just, you know, you're not whacking them. You're just kind of tapping a little bit and saying, hey, hey, get their attention. Now, you got to be careful, too, when they're really little because they don't always connect all those dots. So really be careful with, with that. But you're actually teaching them in the lesson. Um, and so they're not not all that's developed yet. So the, you do got to be careful when they're really little. But um, so and I so I stress that that's just being careful. It's it's actually an illustration to them. You're not really trying to make them feel the pain, so to speak. When they get older, they need to know that hurts. So but um, so the rod and the staff of correction should should be a comfort and a guide to the the little lamb of God. Now in Psalm 23. We don't often think about it that way. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There we go. Uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, <clears throat> I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So there's comfort in that, in knowing that your parents love you enough to correct you. And so, uh, so here's practical advice for fathers, and I think we all need this. Uh, practical advice for fathers is uh, you should not provoke their, your children to wrath, right? You bring them up the nurture, nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, and so be there, right? That's, that's the first thing, be there. It, it's implied in Deuteronomy 6 that you'll have an impact on your family with the word of God. And, 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 and so that's important. Uh, in Deuteronomy 6, let's just take a look at that. I don't have a lot of those. I don't have those verses listed out in here. So go back to Deuteronomy. And uh, many of you probably know Deuteronomy 6, but if you're like me, it's always good to go back and remember it. And, re you know, a lot of times just going back over stuff helps us remind of, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, ooh, I need to do this and I need to do that. This, the Word of God works. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall uh, be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be when... Uh, the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, uh, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. Uh, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. And then he tells them in verse 14, you be obedient and you don't go after other gods, right? You obey me and man, I tell you what, I'm going to bless you and don't go back. And of course, he gives them the curses there as well. There's blessing and cursing. And so it's a really awesome passage. And back in verse, uh, you know, verse 7, thou shalt teach them diligently, right? That implies that, you know, diligently means you, you got to work at it and, and you got to be consistent. Uh, and, and you don't have to do it, you know, it's not necessarily structured. You need to do it as you're, as you're doing life. You know, it's not necessarily just classroom instruction, though that's fine. But children, need to, they need to see us talking of it. 
when they see you talking about it around the house, when you're sitting down, when you're rising up, when it's on the post of your door, what are their kids seeing? What are they really seeing? Let me get, say it in here. Is this on? I don't need it, but are you going to say something? Who's, yeah, say that on here so they can hear you. You got the steward of that now. So <laughs> They see what you do. Right, so if they see what you do, what does that, what's that mean? Does it mean anything to you? Right. If we're just telling them, but they don't see it. If we're talking out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it's not just talking, but if you're not talking about it, it's not on your heart. I think at our house, I've probably been talking too much politics. I don't do that at church as much because I'm worried about the family, right? The household of faith. And I understand the parameters. But when you get home, you like let your hair down. You know, it's your home, your domain. And, uh, you know, you're watching Tucker Carlson or whatever. And, uh, and you're, you know what, the kids, the kids, they watch that stuff. And so we got to go, go be careful, right? Amy and I got to be careful. It's like, let's make sure the Lord is the subject around the house. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, watching some news programs or what have you. But I'm saying you do got to, you got to be, what are the kids seeing? What am I more preoccupied with? The souls of men or political events? Yeah, Ron, you have your hand up? You got a mic? Because nobody can hear you. Oh, amen. Ron's saying God's going to tell you what's going to happen. That's true. Amen to that. So, um, you can't really, we can't really lead our kids in the Word of God, can we, if we're not in it ourselves? How are we going to bring them up if we're not going there ourselves? So that's kind of hypocrisy. Um, bind them for a sign, write them. So Lot didn't, Lot didn't do this with his family, and they laughed out loud when he proclaimed judgment was coming. Right? In Genesis 9, 19, 14, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up! Right? Now it's like, oh, they're adults. Up! Train up! Right? Up! Up! Get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Like, what are you talking about? Why are you talking the Bible all of a sudden, Lot? This, I haven't heard you talk Bible. What, what are you talking about Bible? Book of Revelation stuff here, man. Worried about end times. What are you talking about, dude? Forget it. You're like a mocker. You don't care about the Bible. You sit at the city gate. All you're caring about is making money and living easy. We know who you are, Lot. Well, the truth is, Lot did believe the Bible. He believed the angels. He believed God's judgment. But nobody knew it because he wasn't talking about it. It wasn't part of his life. And so they're like, what a joke. What a hypocrite. And so, you know, sodomites don't take God's judgment seriously. It's a token of their own, their own perdition, by the way. Lot had no influence over the family at all and barely got his two daughters living in the home out of harm's way. And they were under his direct command. And, of course, you know what happened. He, he lost his wife along the way. Well, Lot had no influence. And it was his decisions that put him there. And so, I'm just saying, we live in a time where there, we need to take lessons. And it's interesting how the Word of God says in verse 14 there, up! And God says, train up. You want to train your kids to get up and go when it's time to go. When God says go, you need to go. 
The whole command, Jesus is telling his disciples, go ye therefore, get up and go. Get up and go. God wants his saints on the move for him, not on the move for themselves. Get up. Get up. I'm up here in the pulpit every week screaming about getting up and going (laughs) because God wants us to be trained up so we can get up because someday he's going to come and catch us up. That'd be good preaching. I should make an outline out of that. So, but he's gonna he's gonna catch us up. We need to be ready. We need to be. We need to know what's going on. It shouldn't have caught Lot by surprise. I mean, is there any shock that judgment's coming to that group of people in Sodom? Okay. Well, look at look at the church today. Is there any reason we should be shocked that judgment's coming to our nation? No. Well, so what are we, what should we be doing? We should be training up our kids, making sure we have influence in them because. I guarantee you the world, the flesh, and the devil want to influence them, just like sodomites want to influence Lot's kids. So let's get them up. Let's get them trained up. All right. So uh, so be like Stephanus. I like this example. So, man, that's kind of negative. So let's get positive. So you got the house of Stephanus here, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14. The first fruits of Achaia. And uh, his house was addicted to the ministry of the saints. Paul says there, uh, he says, let all your things be done with, notice what they're done with. What's it say? Charity. Let all your things, so what should our kids be seeing out of our lives? If we're not going to provoke them to wrath, well, what's, how do you not provoke people to, to wrath? Well, charity. It's, it's the antithesis of it, right? And so when, G, when the wrath of this world was being placed on Jesus, what did he respond with? Love for the Father, right? He loved us, and that's how he purged us from our sin, by dying on the cross in our place. It seems like weakness to the world. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that they are the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. And so involve your kids in the ministry. That's, what, that's one of the things that you can do to help engage them in the, in the mission of God. So that they understand. It's not just about what you're doing at church. It's about what you are doing in the ministry at church. The family is doing. And uh, the devil, will, that's one of the things I know the devil wants to always disconnect. And uh, that's a battle. That's a battle in my kids' lives, I know, is connecting the dots. It's hard for them to see their place in the big picture sometimes. And so, uh, man, you know what? It's important uh, that, that this wasn't just Stephanus. It was the house of Stephanus. Uh, they're the first, first fruits of Achaia. We got, uh, um, oh gosh, Ed. What's Ed's last name? Anyway, Ed, the guy that just joined the church. You know, McCoy. He's living with this guy, this family, and they have these devotions every night. He's like, he says, there's like 10 kids, <laughs> 10 people or whatever, eight kids. They're sitting around sharing Bible verses and stuff. I'm like, that is awesome. You know, they're, it's all, they're all in it together. And that's great. Um, and that's what needs to be happening in our homes. And, and, you know, if we're not engaged in ministry and serving the Lord, you know, we're, again, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. Um, how much do our kids see that we're serious about what the book says? Not in just what we say, but in what we do. Um, Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, right? So, man, we got to, if you want to plant corn or get corn, you got to plant corn, right? If you want to see the children obey, 
Well, guess what? Then we should obey. We need to do what the Lord tells us to do. That was not what's, that was not what Saul was doing. Saul was disobeying. He was sitting around saying, I'm the authority. I'm the king. I'm your dad, Jonathan. Do what I say. And Jonathan's like, Dad, you don't even know. You're not following God. I can't do it. If I want to do what you say, I can't do that because now I'm going against God. Don't put your kids in that position. I will. I'm blessed. When I got saved, my parents never really pushed me against the authority of God in my life. And so I was. I will just throw a little before I move on because I'm moving out of the children mode and fathering stuff. I will encourage. I want to say this. One thing I I don't I do not want to say I'm that I'm not the ideal father. I'm sure most. By the way, most don't be deceived. Most leaders, although we have to be as pastors, train up your children the way they should go. We should have the ideal families. As you see in the Bible, it's exceedingly difficult when you're a leader because you're being pulled a lot of directions. All of us are being pulled, but the church. Anyway, I won't get into all that. The point is, some things I did right. Let me just talk about what I did right. I just want to say that just in case anyone thinks, oh, Brian, you can walk on water. You're the best dad ever. Well, just go ask my wife or my kids, and you're probably going, oh, well, man, what are you doing teaching on that? Um, but I will, there's some things I, I, uh, that I have, I think I have learned and gleaned. One of the things for being an older person when I started having kids, I had a little more time to be reflective and had some more perspective as an adult that maybe a young parent wouldn't have. And I also time a different frame, you know, lens on time. Uh, and so early on, I, I just knew the B times principle, right? Early, early. Um, and man, the time I invested in my son in particular, Elizabeth was never a lay around and listen to daddy talk about the Bible kind of girl. As you guys know her, she's calmed down now. When she was little, she was like, woo, you know. So it, each child's different. But I can tell you that with both of my kids, ages one to six was really important. Uh, and I looked at it like you, I do things in seasons here. got three seasons, you know, so I break it into the spring, the summer, and the fall, you know, and just kind of combine winter and both sides of that. But I kind of like one to six, man, that's the time to invest as little kids. And it takes a lot of work. It's, you know, it's the bedtime stories. It's the memory verses. It's, the, it's, it's a lot of time, and it's worth it. And then when they get uh, a six to uh, – 6 to 12, that age, you know, well, now you're, they're migrating kind of out of the nest, and they're starting to learn there's a whole other world out here, you know. And, uh, and as, if you've been a parent, you know, you, you've seen your kids go through that. But this is my point. By the time they hit 13 to, to seven, uh, 18, uh, f- uh, you know, really, um, it really matters those first 12 years what you put in. Because after, I'm not saying you can't recover a child in their teens, once they hit that, you know, 13 on up, you're really going to see a lot of what you put in the first 12 years or not. And so I'm going to go easy on, on anybody who's a parent. And there are kids, by the way, that are and their circumstances. So I just want people to understand grace unto it. You know, I wasn't raised to learn the Bible at all. And, uh, I got saved, and God rocked my world, and I got changed. I mean, so God's able. Don't, 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 don't give up hope, you know. But I am saying if you're in the business of training up a child, man, those first 12 years, they're huge. And today, it's harder. Our, I've seen in just the, my son's 16, my daughter's 14. And is she 13 or 14? Yeah, she's 14 now. So, um, and Amy could probably, this, the technology is is gotten even just in a couple years difference between a a, a 16 year old and a 14 year old 
these kids coming in the world today, man, it is a different world as far as influencing your kids. Technology is ridiculous. It makes me want to barf. Uh, it's just hard to disconnect them. Uh, and, and the schools don't help you with that either. And even Christians, right, because of all this, I mean, everything's online now. No matter what you're doing, uh, Christian, non-Christian, it's all online. Everyone is plugged in. And that is exceedingly difficult for any parent anywhere, parents. So, and I can definitely see the influence of that on our kids. And, uh, and I, I, I like the older days when we were doing dial-up and our Internet was slow and you couldn't just get on everything and cruise the Internet. And, and it wasn't customary for kids to, to be searching their phones. You know, kids didn't have phones, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, especially smartphones that could add data, you know, all that. I mean, it's just really, you, we have, a, we, as parents, we got to be wise to that. I, I, uh, we probably, we should do this, Amy. We should probably fast, like declare fast, technology fast. You've seen those boxes you put your technology in. And, hey, I mean, whatever it takes. Uh, you'll have mutiny, I'm sure. But, uh, go, <laughs> but go for it. And then tell me how it goes. But uh, anyway. And I tell you, it's, it's, it's a challenge is what I'm saying. It's a challenge today to raise kids. But more than ever, man, we've got to be focused on, on raising kids in the way uh, they should go. So I got convicted. I, I, I want to tell you an awesome story. Uh, this is a true rebuke upon my life. So I'm at the discipleship conference down at uh, Atlanta a couple years ago. And this has probably been four or five years ago now, maybe six. I don't recall. But... Um, you guys, Mark Trotter, we just prayed for him, talked about Mark earlier tonight in our prayer season. Well, Mark's down there. You know, Mark's preaching. I think it was the first conference, and he's up there preaching, you know. And Well, Lana's where his family's living. So his son, Justin's there. It's the first time I'd met Justin, or at least I'd probably met him, but first time I really talked to Justin. And so I kind of was warming up to Justin, and Justin's warming up to me, and we're talking. And, you know, I felt pretty comfortable with Justin. He's an adult man now. He's got little kids now coming along, and I said, hey, Justin, man, I just want to let you know, your dad, he's made a big impact in my life. And uh, uh, when I was coming up in the Lord, you know, back in the day, he'd come in and preach. And just the thing he did with the judgment seat of Christ many years ago, if you ever saw, how many of you have seen the judgment seat of Christ thing that, that Trotter did back in the day? I mean, he's up there doing the judgment seat of Christ, you know. And so he's, he's doing the thing. And and uh, all that stuff made a big impact, man. And Justin, man, your dad's awesome. And uh I just want you to know that I appreciate the sacrifices that you made, the games that he missed, the things that he wasn't able to attend to because he was doing the ministry because it's made a big difference in my life. And then he goes, oh, he's a great dad. He never missed any of those things. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I'm a loser, man. I'm just, oh, your dad is awesome. <laughs> so it was really, it was really convicting. Because I thought, man, how does, how does that happen? Because a lot of times you feel like you're meeting yourself coming and going. And, uh, man, hats off to you, Trots. Uh, for your son to say that was outstanding. Because uh, I know he had to be exceedingly busy all the time. All right, so let's talk about, I got time. I got a few minutes left. Or if we could just finish up. So I don't have any more to say about Father. Let me just pause there. Is there any questions? on this subject or comments anybody if you do comment i'd love you to we got to use the mic so people can hear us anyone at all no all right you guys you're doing good well let's just pause there that way i don't get halfway through something we'll pick up the submissive servants next time
um, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, but uh, appreciate you guys being here tonight. Well, I guess that's all there is to say about that. So obedient children, nurturing fathers. Uh, you know what I haven't talked about? Is moms. Isn't that interesting? It's absent. Is that because the Bible's sexist, racist, uh, all those other things? Uh, it's, it's gender phobic and all that? Not at all. It's actually showing men the responsibility. Women have a huge role in raising children. There's no doubt about that. But who's going to be accountable? Your father. And so wives, uh, think about that too. Uh, that's gonna, that, that is part of the deal, the dealio. And so you, it's important to work as a team. And when you, in, in the Bible, when it talks about your prayers being hindered, right, you don't want your prayers hindered over your kiddos, right? You, you, want, you want to have a good marriage so that your prayers for your kids are getting answered. You want to have it right with God, lest your prayers be hindered, you know. So dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Husbands and wives, submit to your husbands, you know, and all of, that, all of those passages. Because you're in a real battle, for goodness sake. The devil wants to kill your family. He hates you. He hates your kids. He hates God's mission. He hates the church. With the strongest possible terms, he hates us. And he would want to destroy us if he can. But be encouraged. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's nothing to fear, man. His rod and his staff, they keep you. You got, you got a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And you don't have to worry. He's got you. The Father in heaven has you. And he's got your family. But uh, be sober and be vigilant. That's where we're headed, you know, in the text. All of us know about the armor of God. But it's these, it's these family issues that really make uh, churches go. Churches are composed of families. And uh, obviously a lot of families in our culture are broken. And that's not on accident. Because the devil hates the nuclear family. He hates it. And so he's been after it ever since it was in the garden. And even the thought of it. Because we, our reproductive capacity physically is just a picture of our reproductive capacity spiritually. And that is exactly what he hates. And in trying to stop the reproductive cycle physically, he unleashed the power of the reproductive cycle spiritually through the kingdom of God. And that is why we are such a threat to the devil. Not having physical kids, but the, 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 by chance, your children will grow up and learn of the Lord Jesus Christ and become a force to reproduce the life of Christ spiritually. That is the most, that is the most, the scariest concept that the devil can deal with because it really spells and, and, and actually speaks to the reality of his demise. And, the, and like Saul, you saw, see how Saul treated Jonathan? That's how Satan feels, that uh, he is going to be deposed from his throne. And he doesn't really care that he's been disobedient. He feels entitled to the authority in this world and over your children and over this church and the say and god the father says no you ain't having it you're not having it and so uh so let's not give ourselves over to the devil let's not give our kids over to the devil and certainly let's not give the church over to the devil but what's going to happen is if we don't do this individually as, as as parents and nuclear families it will you can't help but if a, if families aren't strong the church isn't strong let's just be honest about it and praise God, though, we need, it's in our weakness that who is made strong? He is made strong. 
So it's not really, you know, especially in Baptist circles, we're good about rules. We're kind of like Pharisees. Like, we want these seven things, these seven principles. Well, Brian, give me the seven principles that I need to make sure this never happens and I'm safe. Well, you're in the wrong place, man. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with my kids. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is I got Jesus and I got the Word of God, and it's really His integrity that we're resting in. Uh, you can better, you can believe it as a as a parent. You are going to mess it up. You're not going to be ideal, but you better be trusting in the one who is. And I'm not trying to say don't do those seven things. I just gave you principles, right, that we live by. But at the end of the day, the person who keeps the house, right, it's the Lord, right? If he's not keeping the house, you ain't going to keep it, right? You can wake, but it's going to be in vain. Let the Lord keep the house, right? You got to let the Lord keep the house. And so um, that gets back to faith, and that gets back to trusting literally, literally believe in this book and saying, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm, putting my, I'm putting all my chips on this thing, on the Word of God, and I'm going with you. I'm going to ride this thing out by faith. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble because, uh, you know, you're going to fail, and the law is going to break down, and you're going to be condemned and feel like a failure and think there's no more grace, there's no more mercy, there's no more help. Well, hey, that's about the time God says, well, I'm finally glad you're done. Now, let me help you be the parent, be the husband, be the wife, be the child of God that you need to be so that I can accomplish my mission in your life. All right, so that's my words of wisdom to depart by. So, all right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Thank you for coming tonight. I uh, hope to see you next.